Hey guys, it's Angela Blair and welcome to All Strings Attached. Our minds today are constantly bombarded by conflicting messages. What's real and what isn't? Fabricated stories, images, and videos scroll past our eyes and minds daily. It's like there are two realities we all live in, a digital reality and everyday life. Now, when it comes to Gen Z, their worldview and identity are being shaped in such a different way than older generations. Mental health and figuring out who to believe, who to trust, and which values to hold on to is a constant topic of discussion for the next generation. That's where Ben Graves comes in. Ben is one of the youngest pastors out there with a platform growing like wildfire. He serves a congregation made up of Gen Zers, helping them establish their identities and build their self-worth in a time where everything feels so unsteady. We're about to bring some real talk and see what it's like on the front lines of the battlefield when it comes to faith, mental health, and pressures our youth are facing today. All right, joining me is Pastor Ben Graves. Ben is an influential high school pastor at Daybreak Church who has dedicated his career to engaging with Christian youth communities and helping educate the next generation of Christian leaders. Pastor Graves makes sure to not only focus on Christian values, but engage with his students on important mental health issues affecting their lives today. Ben, thank you so much for coming on the show. Welcome to All Strings Attached. Angela, thank you so much for having me. I'm pumped to be here. So is it safe to say that you're Gen Z? It depends on what they define. I was born in 1997. Okay. So I think technically I would identify myself as Gen Z only because that is the cutoff year of a Gen Z. So I'm on the oldest end of it. I'm 23 years old. Gen Z is who I rep because that's who I hang out with every single week of my life. That's amazing. Okay, so you're our youngest guest on the show so far, and I'm so excited Honest. because that lens is completely different. Just to jump right in, like, how did you start in this whole journey of working with your church and working to encourage other people your age or younger? I think like most people especially in that that college year, which I, I just graduated college about two years ago, you have a lot of different opportunities for your future that you're usually faced with. And I would say that I had the option to kind of go feed myself. It was like business and go make money. I had the option to maybe pursue an athletic career. Uh, but there's always been something inside of me that just flourished when I found myself not thinking about myself, but thinking about other people. And I didn't know to what capacity. It, it started with like, we would go to Mexico growing up and help build houses and do like mission trip type things like that. And that was always something in my life that just stood out as giving me purpose above kind of all the other whirlwind things in my life. And I remember a, a very distinct moment. I was 20 years old and I'm sitting in a, uh, a church service and I see a young man walk in who was about 16 or 17. And I look at him and I have this thought for the first time. I was like, man, I wish I had somebody in my life when I was in high school that would have taken the time to help me on this journey of life. Like just showing me what it looks like to follow Jesus, to make wise decisions and to dream big and have hope for a future bigger than anything I could ever create myself. And I, and I meet this young man at 20 years old. 
And I just began a relationship with him where we just, we meet once a week and we would sit down for coffee and we would talk life, talk the relationships, who he's dating, the girls he's breaking up with, all that type of fun stuff. And for me, that was like the most fulfilling part of my college time. It wasn't going to the parties. It wasn't going to other things. It was like when I had this one-on-one with this young person in my church that I would just hang out with and help guide alongside life. And uh, one thing turned to another and I found myself serving at a youth ministry. And within a year, I knew this is like, this is what God has for my life. And it was like wow. within a year of serving, I was on staff. And then in June of 2020, my wife and I moved to San Diego to launch a youth ministry down here in Southern California called Daybreak Youth, which we are now a year and a half into and have seen 1,300 young people come through in 12 months. And when you read the stats, Gen Z is labeled as the farthest generation from God, the least religious, quote unquote, if you will. I don't know if I fully believe that, but I do know that your truth is your truth is definitely more of the vibe these days in our culture. What is that like for you? What are your thoughts on what you're seeing with the people around you? There is a movement of young people filling churches up that people are not talking about. Like I said, we've had no problem packing out rooms with high school students, even in the last year. And my friends across the country are saying the exact same thing. And there is a hunger. I think you said the word truth. There is a hunger for something real because everything around us is so fabricated nowadays. And when a young person lives their life and they wake up in the morning and the first thing they do is check their phone and they're scrolling through social and watching TikTok and going through the motions of all that, all they are seeing are things other people are projecting, other people's opinions, other people's so-and-so truth. And where I've seen at least the word of God shine brightest is I think the darker the world gets, the lighter the truth of God will get. And we've seen like just the simple truths of, hey, there is more to this life than chasing money. Like things that I think we would read in scripture and pull truth from. Gen Z is not hearing this on a daily basis. And we need voices like myself and my friends around the country who are preaching these hard truths of just, hey, you got to wake up from the fakeness of what this world is trying to give you because God wants to offer you something real, an abundant life. The gospel always works. We kind of undermine that sometimes and like, oh, we got to make sure like what we're preaching and what our services look like fit like a TikTok culture and it fits in. Like we will do things to be culturally relevant. I'm always trying to make sure I'm up to date. But at the same time, I want to distinguish and show them this is what happens when you follow the trajectory of what your social is telling you to do. This is what happens when you follow God's will for your life. And you can choose. I always believe God's word will never return void. And if someone takes a step of faith to say, all right, I'm going to trust God with my future. I'm going to trust God with this decision. It's always going to turn out better than it could on my own strength or my own will. And I'm just trying to scream that at young people as much as possible because I'm like, we are seeing suicide. The, what the second leading cause of death in Generation Z is suicide. Wow. Do you think it's because they're so young in their formative years of figuring out their identity and they have the screen in their face and this constant comparison? Like, what do you think that is? Dr. Leaf does this study on, on our neuropathways in our brain. And what's interesting is like anything we do with repetition, she says, creates pathways. And from a young age, we're seeing now, even as early as like seven, eight, nine years old, we are seeing young people start these patterns in their life of, of scrolling. 
And now it's not necessarily scrolling that's necessarily the issue. It's the content on the other side of the screen that sometimes is the thing that's planting seeds that's harming their hearts, their minds, even their self-view, all those types of things. Even for myself, I didn't hop on social media until I was about a freshman in high school. But I'm now seeing students in our ministry who are 11 years old and are coming to me. And, and so this one has we're like already addicted to pornography. And this is all going back to patterns, I think, that start the moment we allow young people to just go free on these devices because they're wired to keep us entangled. And, and where I'm trying to step in with Gen Z, especially just in my local context, is I'm, I only have two hours a week. Right. And we look at their screen time. It's probably up to seven hours a day that they're looking at it, you know, and in those two hours, that's maybe why you feel the passion and the conviction when I speak, because I'm like that I'm literally preaching against every lie that they believe that week of themselves just by scrolling, you know, and I'm like, I'm trying to hound it in and I'm trying to make sure they know the truth and they know that the truth will ultimately be the thing that sets them free. Wow. I that is so mind blowing. Eleven years old dealing with porn. You know, part of why I wanted to start this podcast is because my husband and I decided to wait for marriage. And I had so many young girls, really more, more girls than guys, constantly send me messages as I started sharing our story of wanting advice, wanting relationship advice. They wanted validation almost to say, hey, you don't have to do that stuff. I think that, that there's so many pressures out there when it does come to the hookup culture or putting, yes. you know, your worth in am because it's it's normal for us as humans to want to be accepted and like want to be loved and desired. There's nothing wrong with that. But I think how far do we take that and is that in a healthy space? And especially when we're young, sex could easily feel like love. So for porn, being at 11, like are you also seeing sex and like hooking up? Is that also going on at an even younger age or is it just digital? Absolutely. And it is a, I would say, and I'm not exaggerating, a weekly email I will get from a parent or somebody of, I found nude photographs on my son or daughter's phone. And I'm talking middle school, high school, you know, at the end of the day, that is the culture we live in. And I think we kind of have two, two options here. We either uh, burrow down and we get scared and we try and hide kids from the world we live in. Or we teach them foundational truths that will actually impact our definition. I go back to this, our definition of freedom, sexual freedom. The world screams, have sex whenever, with whoever, as many, as often, doesn't matter. There's no strings attached. There's no consequences, yeah. right? Where we would look at a godly definition of freedom. This is where I try and draw the, the comparison here. Godly definition of freedom is having the right restraints. So we look at a fish, a fish will be the most free when living underwater, right? Just like a fish out of water is going to ultimately die. And we think freedom oftentimes is no restraints. No, I think freedom is having the right restraints on our life that help us operate at the level God's called us to operate. So now we can apply that to, to sex, right? Like the Bible asks for sex to be within the confines of marriage, right? And there's grace and all that type of thing. But I would believe God's best design for sex is in the confines of marriage. I waited for marriage as well, my wife and I did. And when he asked us to do that, it's because that is his best plan for our life. Ultimately, if we will live in that will, what ends up happening is we are experiencing sex at the highest level that God's asked us to. Now, outside of that, now we are cheapening and we are almost ruining the gift sex is because we are doing it outside of his will. 
And what we think is that we can have these sexual encounters and that there's no consequence to it. When the reality is scripture is really clear that every time we come into a sexual encounter with somebody, we are attached in three ways. We're attached physically, emotionally, but also spiritually, the Bible says. And we don't think about these things. So we think when we're hooking up with someone at 15, 16, 17 years old, that it's just a physical transaction. That's all it is. But little do you know that you are connecting on a physical level, emotional level, also spiritual level. And those don't break easy. Those don't just come apart. And what happens is you end up going through a life where if you live in hookup culture, by the time you want to get married or you want to start a family, you are carrying emotional and spiritual baggage from those encounters with other people. And we don't even think about that. And we wonder why we're depressed, wonder why we can't find fulfillment in relationships, wonder why we can't settle down with one person, wonder why, you know, we always feel anxious when it comes to our relationship or sex life. It's because we have connected and disconnected and connected and disconnected. And we cheapen the thing that God has created in the confines of marriage. Now, we just don't, that's not taught, right? Like we don't talk about that uh, to young people often. It's just like, be safe and make sure, you know, that's it. And we don't say, hey, you you might be left feeling really depressed and bad about yourself. Hey, you might be feeling used. You might not feel, uh, you might be feeling like a thing and not a, like a treasure. You, like we don't talk about like yeah. what it does to our soul. The mental aspect, the anxiety. So I, I think the purity culture with the church community had the absolute best of intentions, but there's also been a lot of shame around that. And I, I've experienced it, right? Like, oh, you're just one of those purity culture sure. girls, whatever. But now we're in a digital age, right? It is a new day. What are the ways you think are going to work? How we can connect to kids? Because what if, what if they don't believe in God? What is that approach that you try to use or you think that can be effective for this next generation? Absolutely. I, I would say when it comes to, to purity, it is far less about the no's and it's all about the right yes. And we teach purity about no to this, don't do there, don't go there, don't watch that. When I teach purity, I say, no, 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 no. When I married my wife, I didn't marry her going, I'm saying no to 1.8 billion girls in this world. No, no I'm, <laughs> saying, I'm, saying, I'm saying yes to Brooke. Therefore, my no is to 1.8 billion girls in the world. And it's just that small philosophical switch where you're not living with eyes like, I, I don't want to touch that. I can't see that. And that's where you get the weird purity Christian culture thing from. Yeah, It's just, I want to make the right yeses. And a yes to God is a yes to purity, right? A, a yes to my wife is a yes to, to purity because I'm, I'm going to be saying no. And that's where we always have to run it with the grace because at the end of this day, none of us are perfect. None of us have it figured out. And, and it's only by the grace of God that we're able to still walk forward and get back up and have progress, right? And, and purity without grace is, is us just trying to have some moral better than other people type crap. And that's, that's not what we're about. And when it comes to the next generation, you would be fascinated to see that a lot of these anti-pornography movements, especially on TikTok, are not run by Christian creators. These are all run by just secular people who have learned by trying the negative effects of pornography. And, and it's, a, it's a movement on TikTok where, you know, cancel Pornhub, like all these things are all from not even Christian sources. Like these are just people like people who go like, man, this has messed my life up. And I've learned this just by trying it. I'm trying to tell people to stop. And I think what will end up happening is we'll get to a place where either people will fall over and over and over again and be hurt. And then when they hear my message of there's a better way, a pure way, 
then that will be the easy response and turn to, or it will be like a, Hey, learn before you fail. Um, and that's what I'm trying to capture with like the really young demographic is let me, let me just give you the warning signs of what's coming if you make this decision. And let me show you the other decision you could make that could help. Yeah. We have listeners of all ages and we might even have some young parents on and they will have to have the birds and the bees convo. To me, I get the absolute creeps when someone's like, I give them the tape and I rip it off and then I put it back on their skin and I rip it uh, off again. Or yeah. they'll be like, one time I had this dad come up to me and he's like, our daughter wears a bead bracelet and if she hugs a boy or touches him, she takes a bead off. So we count her beads every day. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that is beyond creepy. A lot of parents feel so frozen right now with how the heck do I connect with my kid? What would be your advice to parents? Yes, I would say honest, early, and often. Honest, early, and often. I think what a lot of parents do, and I'm not even a parent yet, but I, I just learned this from watching parents who are crushing it with Gen Z kids right now. Talk earlier than you think you have to. I gave you this as an 11-year-old girl who parent came to me, found pornography on her phone. They are being exposed to things earlier than, than you and I were. You know, so you got to make sure you're getting honest on these things earlier than you think you are. And then you got to be consistent in bringing these topics up, make it a normality in your home to be able to talk about these things. And that it's a safe space with mom and dad to be able to talk about what I saw and what popped up on my for you page, what someone sent me that I didn't ask for. And what happens is this is this is the enemy's number one tactic is to for a young person to see something they shouldn't see. And their first reaction is to hide and not talk about it. Right. We can go back to Genesis one. The first time that Adam and Eve sinned, what do they do? They go and hide and they go cover up. And what happens is anything that lives in the dark that we hide and we don't talk about and we don't we're not honest with it festers and it grows and it ultimately infects us. Now, when when it, we can create a culture with as with our kids or with young people of we're always going to be living in the light because that's where we find healing. You can catch those things where if, if your young son or daughter sees something they shouldn't see or has a conversation they shouldn't have been in. They can talk to mom and dad about it so that it's not like this thing they feel like they have to hide and be shameful of. But no, like you didn't ask for this. You, you're growing up in a generation where this is just constantly and we want to help you navigate this. And if you're never setting a culture in your home or in your youth ministry, your church, like of being able to have honest, open conversations, you're, you're never going to see the growth that you want because they will learn to hide. That is our natural kind of disposition as a human being is to hide those things. And I go like early, honest, and often, like always be talking about it. Always let it be a common thing in your house where it is a safe space to come to you with the real things going on in their life. So good. It's so cool what you're doing because it's different when it's coming from someone who's younger and closer to their age. So if you had to say what could be some encouragement to, I guess, let's start with guys first, or just like some wisdom you want to pass on for what you know they kind of battle and are going through. Yeah, absolutely. For the guys, um, you have to learn to trust that when God asks us to do something, that he has the best intentions in mind. And I think oftentimes we, when we look at the Bible, don't have sex till you're married, or, or just rules that would be stigmas in Christian culture. We read those as like restraints. I want to tell, especially young men, that when you decide to walk in the way that God's asked you to walk, there is blessing and favor, and there is a fulfillment that is offered that you cannot find anywhere else. And that has to be your driving force on why you make the decisions you make. 
if all your decisions are made based off what you're watching, based off comparison, based off what you see on social media, you'll find yourself constantly in the circle of chasing around, trying to find something to fill the gap in your heart. And I'm telling you, you will not find it in sex. You were not created to find all fulfillment in sex, even though that is the nature inside of us that we feel is there. Uh, but when you submit even your sexual desires to God, what you will find is a fulfillment that only he can offer. I can't explain it. I can't really paint it any better way than you just have to trust it and find it. It's not about, like I said, it's not about just saying no to everything. It's about having the right yeses in your life that will set you up for success. And then what would you say to the girls out there today? You are highly valued. You have immense worth and nobody can tell you otherwise. And no guy can tell you otherwise. And I would say first understand how you were created, how God created you in his image, meaning you are made of the image of God, meaning your worth cannot be dictated by what people say, what people comment, what people reply to you. It is strictly based on God. And that has to be the first way you identify yourself. Every day you wake up, every time you look in the mirror, God created me as a perfect being. Like he, he wouldn't want me any other way. And that has to drive how you go into conversations with guys, how you go into school, how you go into your workplace, because that's where confidence comes from. Yeah. What would you say when it comes to digital boundaries are really important things for how we view relationships, how we view, I mean, it impacts everything, right? Which is why this show is called All Strings Attached. But I know you're such an advocate for mental health. What would you say is really important to do and really just be aware of? in your everyday life that can just lead to stuff that we really don't want. I'm practicing this right now. So this is a working thing, but I am trying to identify and literally write down like in my notes on my phone, what are lies that I have believed about myself or about the world, or about relationships I'm in and getting really honest about those things. So I, I will write those out, you know, that I am not going to end up where I feel I should end up in life. I'm not going to, you know, and then even getting deeper to things that are really intense and dark in our lives. And then I'm trying to then look at those and then say, okay, but what is a truth that God says about this, whether a Bible verse, whether something a pastor said or a message or a song. And I am like combating the lie in my life by writing truth over it. And this is something where I, I learned a lot of those lies when I looked on the list have come from me on social media. Like, seeing a pastor have 10,000 and I only have whatever that, you know, seeing a pastor have this and I don't have that, or they're traveling here and I'm not. And, and I realized I'm like, a lot of these were rooted in comparison or whenever I had gone from social media. And I had realized like, I just want to make sure I'm not anti-phones. I'm not anti-social media. I have it. I'm on it. I just want to make sure I'm never so attached that I, I lose perspective of the truth in my life. And what that looks like for me is like, I will try to, for at least every single day, just not have it on for at least an hour to two hours. It's never going to be the first thing I look at when I wake up. Like, I just won't allow myself to do that. And then when I get home from work around five o'clock, like it is going in my room and we're going to the gym and we're hanging out and we're making dinner and we're just not looking at it and having time to decompress and just to get away. You would, it does wonders for your mental health. <laughs> and then it's also just not the last thing I'm looking at. So I'd say it's not the first thing and it's not the last thing. Because when, when we go to bed with the last thing in our mind, just a, a scrolling, like you wake up the next morning, just foggy and you don't have the clarity that I think you can have without it and setting up a few of those things in my life. And like I said, not perfect with it. And I, I have to learn my relationship with social media. And I said with everybody, like anything we don't understand the purpose of will abuse. And if you don't understand the, uh, the purpose of social media, you'll abuse it and it'll hurt you. 
And the purpose of it for, for my life is to connect with people and is to be able to spread the word of God and then also to, to make friends and see what's going on in life. And anytime I find that purpose being kind of convoluted, I'm seeing things from outside of that. I go, okay, I need to take a break for a moment and be okay to put it down. Be okay to just like have small times of your day where you're not on it, where you're getting like a mental breath, whether it's from running or working out and stuff like that, just to keep yourself fresh and healthy. I love that. And my husband would agree at night, no phone. He even got like a yeah. box. He's like, put the phone in the box. <laughs> that is the no go zone. So I'm like, okay, babe. that's awesome. But that's incredible. So you're married. You're 23. When did you get married? Six months ago. How long have you guys been together? Four years. Was that hard for you guys to wait for marriage? I'm not going to lie. Yes, absolutely. Over a course of four years, uh, there was a lot of growth that happened individually in each of us, just like in any relationship that I think as we both as individuals matured uh, spiritually, relationally, and then in our careers, it did help in us setting goals. But I would say like, I think I want to say we were about three months into dating when we set a boundary of this is, we're not going to go here. We're not going to go past this. This is, you know, where we stay. And we weren't perfect. Yeah. More or less, you know, but what were the boundaries you guys did try to, cause I know so many people are like, okay, I want to set boundaries, but like, what does that mean? We just didn't sleep in the same bed. Like we were like, we're not going to set ourselves up for that. Nothing good is going to come from us sleeping in the same bed. So we just never did that. We would go on vacations and I would sleep with her brothers and she was, you know, and I would sleep in the guest room or whatever we had to do. And, and it was funny because everyone around us just thought it was psychotic. Like, why? This is so complicated. Why are you doing this? But it was our conviction and it was our thing because we just didn't want to cross that that boundary. And, and like I said, we weren't like we didn't, you know, even sit on a couch next to each other or we never yeah. held hands. We never like we did like we kissed. We weren't super strict as far as that was my personal conviction. It was just like, we're just not going to have sex and we're not going to put ourselves in situations that could lead to that. So like hanging out alone till four in the morning, this is not going to do that. You know, like we were usually at one of our family's houses or with groups of people and stuff like that. So yeah, we, we made it though. And that's what I would say. Like, and it was so worth it. I would not take anything back for being able to make it through those four years and then be able to enjoy what God created in the confines of how I created it. I just think it was like, I would not change a thing. That's beautiful. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on today. It's just incredible the work you're doing. So important. And we're cheering you on over here because I'm such a believer in all the things that you're you're helping instill in so many lives. So thank you for just sharing what's going on and just giving us some wisdom. Thank you so much for having me. Love what you're doing. Continue to speak truth. Continue to be unfiltered with the things that we're facing. I think our generation needs it because you're saying, hey, we got to figure this thing out. Let's be honest about it. And I think God honors that. Thank you so much. So fascinating to hear what Ben had to say. I absolutely loved my conversation with him. So for all you parents out there, I hope you took notes because when it comes to the sex talk, let's be real, it's gonna happen. It's gonna eventually come up. Ben said after working with so many parents and kids, he strongly advises to have the birds and the bees convo honest, early, and often. He said that a few times, honest, early, and often. I get the awkwardness that it could bring, 
but it's just not a one-time chat. It really should be a constant talk you're having at home in order to really create a safe space for kids who are battling a lot of different things on a weekly basis. And if you're listening here and you're like, I'm not a parent, I'm in high school, I'm in college, I'm still going through this, it is perfectly normal for you to talk to your parents or find someone that you trust, you feel safe with, and you can talk about these things with and process them with. I know when I was single, I would reach out to a lot of mentors or just women that have been married and really go to them for advice because they have so much more life experience. I hope this conversation gave you an inside look at what's happening with the next generation. And as Ben said, reframing our perspective to making the right yeses for our life rather than focusing on the no's. What a game-changing perspective to have. Thanks for joining All Strings Attached. I can't wait for our next episode as we continue to unpack the journey of love, dating, and sex today. Attached is hosted by me, Angela Blair. The show is executive produced by Soul Shop, and our production coordinator is Spencer Tropper. Special thanks to the folks at City Reach Church and Daniel Rudnai for this awesome recording studio. Follow me at Official A Blair on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok, and follow the show at All Strings Pod on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok too. Sign up for my newsletter at allstringsattachedpod.com. And if you go all out and send me an email at Angela at allstringspod.com, I may even respond. Don't forget to rate and review our show on Apple Podcasts like every other show tells you to do. Until next time, I'm Angela Blair. Angela Blair.